If you don't care about the Pittsburgh Pirates, then please, please do the rest of us a favor and just don't care. You know, like, go ahead and don't care. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. We hope that wherever it is that you listen to our podcast that you set us to auto-download. makes a big difference. Also, feel free to, you know, write a nice little review. That helps us out in the search rankings, too. It all builds up. I'll be headed over to Heinz Field this afternoon, 1.30 p.m. practice for the Steelers. Training camp in pads, getting serious. I'll be talking more about that in the second segment. The Pirates have flown out to Chicago. They'll be playing on the south side of Chicago against the White Sox. That's an 8.15 p.m. first pitch. I should say the sizzling Pittsburgh Baseball Club. This streaking buckos. Winners of three in a row over the weekend against the Brewers. Hey, you know what? Hats off to them. Seriously. That's a tough, tough go they've had. I know everyone likes to dump on them for the payroll and everything else here, but you're missing literally half your roster, half of the projected opening day roster, and you still pull off a sweep like that. You don't throw them a parade or anything. Most people barely even paid attention, but it's still a nice sight. There's nothing wrong with it. Not that you could get anyone, hardly anyone, I should say, around town to acknowledge that or to even have paid attention to it. And yet people talk, talk, talk about the pirates in this town. If it isn't the number one topic in town, I don't know what is. I mean, it's a global pandemic right now. And you're still highly likely to find in any kind of social gathering, or at least what we can pull off for social gatherings these days, people talking about the pirates in some form. And they trash them, and they bash them, and they don't watch them at all, and they insist that they don't care, but they talk about them. And you know exactly what I'm referring to. You know exactly the behavior. I am convinced that most of the people who talk about the pirates don't track them in any way, don't follow them, might not even be interested in them when times are good. I really feel like the pirates in our city have become like, I was about to use a different word, complaining about taxes and government and garbage pickup. I really feel like people bash the pirates just to try to fit in with the person next to them. Look, a lot of it's valid. A lot of it's valid. They are who they are. They are what they are. Bob Nutting is who he is and what he is. They've had a lot of it coming for a long time. 2013 to 15 and those playoff runs feels like forever ago already. And the payroll of 57 million 
is the lowest anyone's seen in Major League Baseball in the past six years. Not the lowest in Pittsburgh. The lowest anywhere in the majors over half a dozen years. So they've earned taking the criticism that they do. And that doesn't bother me when it happens. What does bother me is people who just do it for sport. Who just do it so they sound like they're in on current events. Drives me nuts. I was doing uh, regular radio on 105.9 The X filling in for Mark Madden. This was, oof, I want to say three, four months ago. And I kind of played a trick on the audience. This is a little bit diabolical on my part. But I asked them to call in and share their number one, their main concern about the Pirates or things that, that, that really bothered them about the state of the Pirates. And it kind of suckered them in. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit this, right? They would call and they would say something, something, nutting, something, something, payroll, something, something, nutting, something, seven springs, something, money, money, payroll, payroll. And I would end each individual call with the same question to that caller. And that was this. Can you name the Pirates left fielder? Now, notice that I didn't say, can you name the Pirates, oh, I don't know, long reliever with the lowest ERA or backup catcher or anything like that. I went for a pretty prominent player in Brian Reynolds, meaning that he was just a rookie of the year candidate, by far the Pirates' most consistent performer over 2019. And if you'd watched even a little bit, a little bit of the 2019 season, chances are excellent you would have noticed and appreciated Brian Reynolds. You would have at least known the name. None of these people knew it. Not one. Not one. One guy, as I recall, near the end of the... Because I kept him on the phone to make fun of him a little bit. And I guess he went and did a quick Google. And then he comes back and says, it's Brian Reynolds. Okay, well, good. I mean, your search engine's still working. No one knew who Brian Reynolds was. The only pirate they could name in most cases was Andrew McCutcheon because that was probably the last time they were actually watching. They weren't even paying attention. And again, that's your right. Go nuts. It's supposed to be a free country in all contexts. It's absolutely a free country when it comes to deciding what you do and don't pay attention to in baseball. But please, don't pretend to then. You know? If you don't actually care about the local baseball franchise, find something else to do with your life. I do this a lot on social media now, too. When someone comes at me with, I don't know, I mean, I'll just put up like a a link to an article or a podcast or something, and it's got pirates mentioned in it. And immediately the response will come underneath there. Something, something, last place, nutting, payroll, seven springs, money, blah, blah, blah. 
and I'll ask them if you if you don't care, or, or or I'll get like a who cares. That's another one. Who cares? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. If you don't care, why'd you respond? Why'd you do that just to fit in? I mean, what is that? Figure out whether or not you care about this franchise. Short-term, long-term, maybe you're temporarily tuning them out. I hear that one a lot. Well, I'll be interested again whenever they're good, and I'm not expecting that anytime soon. Or, they lost me 40 years ago. That's a good one, too. They lost me after 1979. Uh, They lost me after Bonds left. It's the worst of all of our civic reactions to any of Pittsburgh's sports teams. How can you blame anybody for feeling that way? That's another common one. How can you blame? Do you blame them for being that way? The Pirates made us this way. Bob Nutting made us this way. Okay, great. Move on. Find something else that interests you. Big world. Lots of things to do. Two other teams in town you might like. Talk about them once in a while. Talk about Jack Johnson from the Penguins. If that makes you feel better, if you're just an angry person who likes to vent about things. You know, you don't even have to know whether or not Jack's any good. Just, Jack stinks. And I know because I heard someone else say it. He stinks. There are people who care about the Pirates. There are people who latently care about the Pirates. And by that I'm referring to, you know, the ones that showed up for the blackout game with tears in their eyes after saying that I was never going to set foot in that ballpark ever again because they'd always wanted to see the Pirates do well, but they weren't going to invest emotionally until it was safe to step into the water again. That's convenient fandom in my eyes, but that's just an opinion. There are people who care. There are people who care who don't watch every single game that the Pirates play. They exist too. But that's not who I'm referring to. I'm referring to these people who don't know don't care, don't anything as it relates to the Pirates and still just, oh, I almost said the word again, complain and complain and complain as if it's something that's important to them. It isn't. So stop acting like it is. This subject is irritating me and we're going to talk about football when we come back. As promised, football. As further promised, I'll be covering that today over at Hinesfield. Looking forward to it. All kinds of fun things to watch in a camp setting, especially one like this, where the Steelers, for a lot of these uh, practices and even the less formal portions, are spread out over different parts of the field doing different things. 
Uh, in Latrobe and even over on the south side, they use multiple fields. At Heinz Field, of course, they can't do that. There's just the one. So they'll actually split up and use certain chunks of the field sideways. Uh, they'll use the end zone to run lateral plays. Uh, they'll even use parts of the grass that are out of bounds. One obvious reason for that is you don't want to destroy the turf. Uh, that's something that the Steelers are openly aware of uh, and have planned for. And it, it's it's kind of interesting to watch it develop. But the other reason is you got a lot to get done. you got a lot of different people you got to evaluate. The chief evaluation, at least from a battle standpoint, that's remaining is right tackle. In fact, it's the only battle that's left since Tyson Alualu was named nose tackle by Mike Tomlin last week. It's now just about Chuk Sikorafor versus Zach Banner. I'll take some of the suspense out of that, maybe, by saying that I'm hearing from everyone over there that it's going to be Chuk's job. Maybe that's something that was predetermined by Mike Tomlin and staff going in. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it still could change. Who knows? But that's just what I'm hearing over there. But I think there's more to this. I think there's a another couple of layers that are maybe more interesting than who's going to line up on the right side to September 14th in East Rutherford. To start, I wouldn't rule out that the quote-unquote loser of this battle whether it's a Korofor or Banner, finds themselves getting some duty at left tackle. Now, that's easier said than done. Even if both of these guys, as we happen to believe, are having a better camp than Alejandro Villanueva, whew, good luck explaining to Ben Roethlisberger that you're going to stick two kids on either bookend for him once the games get real. At least with Villanueva, Ben knows what he's getting. Ben knows to trust the individual with his back, literally. But when you're talking about the future, it's not a dumb move to get one of those guys active on the left side sooner rather than later I'd think they're starting to they, they've seen and I've seen them in some drills where they because Villanueva had missed some time early in training camp uh, have taken snaps over there and that's good but Villanueva is already through different channels thrown out some hints that this will be his last year there are those close to him who are convinced that it will be his last year. So the Steelers have a lot to gain by making sure that they've got not one, but two game-ready tackles who aren't Villanueva. That's good. That, 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 that's a positive. What's a potential negative out of this is that someone's going to be really, really disappointed. Now, Banner is going to be as openly and visibly disappointed as you might expect from someone of his very open and visible personality 
not just on social media, but including the way he, he is with reporters in normal times when we can talk to him with cameras and microphones and so forth. I don't think that's going to be a great thing. So there's a, a line here that the Steelers have to walk in making sure that it's clear to everybody, including Villanueva, that left tackle is involved in this discussion. It's not just about right tackle. It's also about the left side. Find a way to rotate those guys through with Villanueva, not just in practices, not just in training camp, but find a way to do it in games. Uh, Again, Ben's not going to be wild about that, but Ben will be even less wild should Villanueva get hurt and there won't be an NFL-ready left tackle to replace him? Or, you know, looking ahead, Villanueva's just gone after the season and whoever's there to replace him the following year won't be as ready as they could be. Now is the time. And I'm honestly a little bit surprised and disappointed that it hasn't happened yet. That's something that I'm really, really hoping to see this afternoon again regardless of which of the two wins the job when we come back a controversial but correct call in the stanley cup playoffs last night bit of pucks if you are one of those people who's been leaving the Stanley Cup playoffs on kind of as background music my wife was remarking to our daughter over the phone kind of a hushed tone they're always on it's like they never end (laughs) so I watched who was it the Islanders crushing the Flyers and then uh, this very surprising Dallas Stars running up a 2-0 series lead on the Avalanche. And there's one particular thing in the latter that I wanted to bring up in this program, the third segment of which is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. In normal times, one in seven people in our region are what's known as food insecure, including one in five children. And what food insecure means is not knowing where your next meal is coming from. That's scary. And during a pandemic, that need and that situation is that much greater. If you, listening to this, are in need of food assistance, or if you would just like to support our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell all three of those words out. pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar provides enough food for up to five meals. True thing. So the Stars had this big rush. They scored a bunch of goals against the Avs, who are without Philip Grubauer and Ned, and all of a sudden are looking... Not so hot as my pick to win the Stanley Cup. On the fourth of those, Dallas's Asa Lindell 
was just jamming away at a puck that was right up against the right pad of Colorado's backup goaltender, now their starter, Pavel Francus. And Lindell very emphatically raises his arms in celebration, big smile, and actually stops trying to keep whacking at the loose puck. So it looks extremely convincing. Body language can be everything in situations like this, but the most compelling visual out of it was that Lindell just stopped trying to score when he could have continued trying. So referee in a corner who logic would dictate there's no way he saw the puck cross the goal line calls it a goal. You'd have to presume that that's based on Lindell's reaction, but he calls it a goal. And then from there, of course, it goes to the replay people who are in Toronto and they're looking at it and they're looking at it and they're looking at it because this gave Dallas a 4-2 lead. So it was going to be an enormous goal. I mean, not to mention the 2 nothing series lead. And this isn't one of those times where you worry about the how long the delay is. You just want to get it right. And you want to look at every angle that's available. Make sure that you're checking every camera. And you can even try to connect the dots, if you will. In other words, you can take one angle and see certain pieces of certain things and then try to mesh that even if it's just in your mind with another angle and say oh okay well if this then that they kept doing it they're going from overhead uh from the front there's a probably a good four or five angles on this not one of them showed the puck over the line not one of them showed that the puck didn't cross the line. And what you have in a situation like this, this is why I'm bringing this up, a good number of people, including real live experienced hockey people, will immediately opine on what they think happened as if their opinion or their judgment of what they're seeing in these replays matters. It doesn't. It doesn't. Paul Bissonnette, the former, oof, forever ago, uh, Penguins tough guy who ended up really making his name uh, elsewhere in hockey and then, of course, much, much bigger as a social media presence and the host of Spittin' Chicklets, the really well-known hockey podcast, went right away. That's no goal. You can see it. There's just, there's, there's no way that's a goal. And you could see the responses to him right away saying, no, wait, Biz, hang on a second. That, that, that doesn't matter. And they're right. It doesn't. All that matters in this case is this. Think of it as the way the judicial system is supposed to work. A call is made on the ice, or for that matter, in any sport, because all the replay review systems are supposed to work the same way. The call is made on the ice, on the field, on the court, whatever it is. And the only thing that replay is supposed to achieve from there is whether or not the call was wrong, conclusively wrong. That's it. That is the full extent of the burden of that process. Nothing else. So the call on the ice 
whether it's right or not, is good goal. Now the replay officials are only looking for something that conclusively show that it wasn't a goal at all. I wish everyone would understand this. It would eliminate about probably about 95% of sports fans' angst when they're watching these situations. They see it and they go, oh, look, that, that doesn't look like it's in. It okay, then you're supporting the point that it's a good goal because that's what the ref said. The NHL, more than any other league, at least from my perspective, has blown this. They will way too often have a situation where the refs on the ice won't make any call at all. And you know what I'm talking about because you've seen it too. They don't make any call. They'll look at each other, they'll fold their arms, and they'll skate over in a hurry to that little semicircle over by the penalty boxes and they'll confer with each other and then they'll try to figure out what the call on the ice is. And with all four of them talking, you don't really know what that is at times because they'll just relay it over the phone to whoever it is in Toronto. So you never find out. What that does is that puts the entire burden of the call on the replay system. And that's not how it's supposed to work. That's not how it works best for that matter. You have a human set of eyes in that field of competition for a reason. And a goal like this is exactly why, because there are times that not even a zillion camera angles can show you whether or not it crossed. So this case, in this case, my belief is that it was a goal just because of Lindell's body language and the fact that he stopped trying to score. But my bigger belief is that the right call ended up being made in large part because a human on the ice read the situation correctly, responded correctly, and the replays couldn't overturn it. Now, all that said, before I leave you today, my goodness, we can put a man on the moon in 1969 and we can't come up with the technology to show whether little vulcanized rubber disc has crossed over a red painted line. I'm guessing we can do a little bit better than that in terms of tracking technology. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this one. We'll be back tomorrow. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.